This episode of Storylines is brought to you by Legal Cut Pro. Legal Cut Pro is Canada's entertainment law podcast that's made for independent film and television producers. Lawyer-actor-producer Michelle Molyneux and lawyer Gregory Pang discuss legal topics like using emojis in film, a supermodel getting sued for posting a picture of herself, and drones in film and the law. Plus, you'll hear Greg's occasional nerdy talk, such as how to prosecute Thanos. Find and subscribe to Legal Cut Pro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and other of your favorite podcast catchers, or visit LegalCutPro.com. That's LegalCutPro.com. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television, Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode... On any film, when the graphic design is good, you do not notice it's there. We're in conversation with production designer Raven Brash. The main thing about good leadership is it shines through in the quality of work life. Raven never imagined she'd work in the film and television industry when growing up on a farm in Australia. She ended up in Canada for a road trip adventure over 20 years ago, and she never left. It was curiosity and connection that led her onto her first film set. It was the only job that's ever been able to keep me interested. More than two decades later, Raven has done nearly every role in the art department on film and television sets, but production design is where her talent really shines. She created graphics and props for numerous shows, including the APTN sketch comedy show, Caution May Contain Nuts. Canada. Canada. Ah, oh, I see. You're saying this country's name is Canada. Canada. Yeah, Canada. And recently, she was a production designer on the APTN show Tribal and the holiday feature Christmas Coronation. Raven, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, how are you doing? So, as we mentioned there, it was curiosity and connection that brought you onto your first film set. Take us back to the beginning. How did your career in the film and television industry really begin? Well, it began in Vancouver. There's a big film industry there. And one of my best friends who I was originally working with in a clothing store where I was designing t-shirts and other graphics for clothes, she ended up working in the costume department and it piqued my curiosity, the whole film life. So she kind of pointed me in the right direction of production designer that I could potentially work with. And she got me onto my first show in the set deck department. Take me back to that first moment with how you started in the film industry. Uh, it wasn't a glamorous first job, but what was your first job in the film industry and how did you end up there? My first job in the film industry was literally shoveling poo. My friend who had just started working in the costume department piqued my interest in film and made gave me some connections. So I got that job and my it was literally shoveling poo out of a little goat shack on a fair park under a roller coaster. So certainly not very glamorous, but I think that's the thing that most people don't realize is that it's not necessarily a glamorous industry. It's not all the Hollywood glitz and glam that you see on screen that happens behind screen. Is that right? Yeah, I think this has never changed in my whole career is that people have a 
a fantasy about what the film life is. And it's not completely incorrect. Like, it is a lot of fun. It's interesting. We go to incredibly awesome places that you would never go if, with a regular job. But then there's the other side of it being extremely hard work and you end up in places where you never expected, which may not be good places. <laughs> you know, you're in the middle of the night in a field of mud, freezing or wet, or you're shoveling poo or you're lifting things that you never thought you could possibly lift. You're definitely thrown into places where you would never choose to go. Let's say that. <laughs> But in a way, going places and ending up in places that you wouldn't expect is kind of the story of your life now, isn't it? Yes, true. I'm kind of a person who's always lived their life like a leaf in the wind or something like that. I just have got, always gone with the flow and film was definitely one of those places. But I found it, it was the only job that's ever been able to keep me interested you're always doing something new it's every day it's a new challenge a new location new people so it's the only job I've ever had in my life that's been able to hold my interest for decades you have been in this industry for a long time so let's go back to that first job where you were shoveling goat poo out of a shed how did you get into your second job third fourth and then ultimately into your 20th year or so here I have a really good work ethic. When I shoveled that poo, I shoveled it really well and really fast and people take notice. And no matter what job I had, I always did it to the absolute best of my ability. I always did it perfectly. I always worked hard with a smile on my face. People take notice and they want people like that. So I was always just asked back to my next show, my next show, until of course I worked on that, a show that was an absolute nightmare where I thought I had made it. It was my first movie where I was actually getting paid for the whole show. I was making $200 a day, which I thought was unbelievable amount of money. But then it turned into this absolute crazy show, which happens. And we were working 20 hours a day easily. One time I even just had a nap on the set floor. We were absolutely delirious and crazy. During that time, I wrote myself a diary of pain because I didn't want to forget that I never wanted to work in film again. So after that, I didn't actually work in film for a while, but I lost the diary of pain, unfortunately. And then I came back and, you know, it turns out that it wasn't all that bad. But that's the thing that people don't really realize, as you said, that this industry is such hard work. Is it sort of that you get pleasure out of pain? Like how rewarding is it for you when you go through all this hard work working in the art department or doing production design on a set and then you watch it on TV or you watch it in the movie theater and you see your name there at the end? How rewarding is that for you? I like to think that it's not just in that moment. It is, it is satisfying to see your name on something. I'm not going to lie. Because film is so all-encompassing, you really have to figure out how to enjoy the process, which isn't always easy because it is very tough. So you have to work with people you love and make sure to have really good boundaries because you will be asked to do stuff until there's nothing left of you and you have to know where to say no. Let's go to that point. You said that people will ask you to do things until there's nothing left of you. 
How important is it to have a work-life balance in this industry? I've never really been able to manage a work-life balance because it's virtually impossible because you're literally at a minimum working 12 hours a day, which means 13 hours a day because you have to get to and from work or if you take lunch, it's all encompassing. So you really don't have a life while you're working. So your life is your work and that's why you need to make your work a place you enjoy to be. And, And now that I'm production designing, I can really have a hand in that. And it's something I'm working on, like, but I really need to protect my crew and my staff. How important is leadership then in film, not just in the art department, but in all the departments? When you've worked on projects, can you tell when there's a strong leader and somebody who's not as strong? The main thing about good leadership is it shines through in the quality of work life. And if everybody's happy and doing their best and feeling like they're valued, then that relates into a good quality product. It's so important to have good leadership skills because you're nothing without your team. And if your team is feeling valued and working hard, it brings everything together. And if if things are coming together easily and people are happy, it also creates a nice environment. And this is our life that we're living. When you're working on a film, that is your life. So you have to consider that if you want a good life, you need to enjoy that time. So it's something I'm working on. Like I I even have taken a course at university on conflict management and dealing with people. And I just want to be a really good leader. And it takes learning psychology and learning different kinds of people and learning about yourself and being able to control your own frustrations and angers or excitement. It's It'll be a long road. And I'm I don't think I'll ever stop learning how to be a better leader. For people who don't know, what does a production designer do? Well, the production designer works with the director and the DOP to create the look of the film. That's basically it. It it changes with every production. Say it's a low budget, say it's a multi-million dollar project. It really depends on what you're doing. If it's a low budget, often I find myself being more managerial, seeing what we have and trying to fit things together. And then the higher budget things, you get to be more creative and be like, okay, I want this and that and let's just go buy it as opposed to what can we find? (laughs) How can we do this for very cheap? You know, which is actually kind of fun when you're working within really tight confines because that's where true creativity can come to play. Design matters and design is something Good design is almost invisible to the naked eye when it's because it's done so well you don't even notice it. Is that true on a film set? It really depends on the show. So say you've got a really good graphic designer. On any film, when the graphic design is good, you do not notice it's there. You don't notice that that sign in the back was something that was created, printed, put up, broken down by the painter. It just looks like it belongs there. You won't even notice. When design is bad, then you start to see like the kinks and you're like, oh, why is that thing there? Why is it that color? Or they'll go do a close up on a newspaper and it'll be like, what is that paper? Or that just seems a bit too colorful or whatever it is. So the better, it's like watching an athlete. Like when you watch a first class gymnast, it they make it look very simple. Like I could do it. <laughs> but when it's not done well, you can see the struggle. Yes, definitely. You've worked on some pretty big projects and you've done a lot of creative things over the years. As we mentioned, you worked on the APTN sketch comedy show, Caution May Contain Nuts. What was that experience like? Marcus, kids, let's go! Come on! 
The Canadian hockey mom is a proud creature, rising well before the sun to prepare her minivan to transport her young. I always say that was one of my favorite shows because I was in my element. I really loved doing graphic design, so I was the graphic designer for that show. I really loved it because I had a lot of freedom because it was a comedy. I could really express a sense of humor and they were always throwing things at me, like the weirdest, most diverse things to build, like a three foot square condom wrapper or a futuristic pirate map, small things like toothpaste or giant things like massive billboards or spaceships or it was just a lot of fun because it was so diverse. And because it's a sketch comedy, you were literally in clown world, space world, fantasy world. It was just always interesting and fun. So when you get to create these different kind of graphics and props, how do you go about it? Where do you source your materials and how do you build them? What do you, what's the process behind building props and creating graphics for shows? The process behind building graphics It depends on what you're working on, but if it's real life stuff, copy, copy, copy. Look at what's out there, get an idea of what is in the world today and not copy it directly, but copy that style. Don't reinvent the wheel. The minute you want to reinvent the wheel, you make something that's out of place. And literally you have generally an hour or two hours to come up with a concept, build it, get it okay, print it and put it on the product. So you don't have time to reinvent something. So that that would be a piece of advice for graphic designers. But if it's a prop, often that is an extremely difficult question because the prop department is so much more complex than anybody ever imagined. So how you get from the beginning to end really depends on what the prop is. Is it a space gun? Do you have time to design it yourself or do you need to outsource it? What's it made out of? Where did it come from? Who's holding it? Does it need to do something special? Like there's so much that goes into every prop. And I always say everything is a thing because you can't just have a cup of tea. What kind of cup is it? Does it need to break? Does it need to reflect the character? Where did it come from? The tea, is the actor allergic to tea? Does Do they drink milk? You have to find, you know, there's so many different aspects. It's not just ever a cup of tea. I like that point that you made there that you said that the prop department is way more complicated than what people think because, as we said, when things like props and graphics are done well, you don't even notice because they just kind of invisibly fit into the background. How complicated, then, is the prop department for people who don't know? Like you mentioned before, I've worked in almost every role in the art department and being the props master is the hardest but it also seems like it would be the easiest what I found was it just never ended basically like I said before everything is a thing so when you write down a list of props in the script it it seems simple but every little thing needs research even if it's a pen you got to think what if this pen runs out of ink? Is this the right color of ink? Are they using a green screen or blue screen? Maybe I should have a different color of ink. You also worked on this series, Winona Earp. What was that experience like? And what did you do on that show? Tell me where Peacemaker is and I'll kill your sister fast. It's in my panty drawer. Why don't we go get it? I was a props master on Winona Earp. And I'd say that was one of the toughest props jobs I've done because it was very props heavy and every prop was always really interesting. There was always uh, many things that had to be created from scratch. Every show was packed full of 
props that needed to be built or made. People were tied up with ropes and stuff, or people were being hit with multitudes of different weapons, or people were being shot at, people were throwing pies at each other. It was just, it was incredibly diverse and interesting, and there was always some stunts going on, people breaking chairs over each other's backs, plates full of cookies and cupcakes. It was just very intense. So they didn't have a massive budget, so it was it was always very intense. So I had a lot of builders. I was always outsourcing to different builders and making things myself or getting my buyer to build books and all kinds of things. It was really a fun show. Like, Unfortunately, it was so busy that I didn't get to build a lot of things myself. I did a lot of organization and then a lot of work on the weekends and evenings. You see a lot in TV shows, chairs breaking over people's backs and things like that. Take me through that process. How does that work if you're creating that prop? Because I have no idea how that works per se. So is the chair literally made out of wood? How do you make that chair break but have it look authentic and not hurt the actor? What's the secret? My bad. I can't reveal it. No, um, the the secret to a chair breaking on someone's back can have a few different solutions. It, oh, well, it depends on how the chair is going to break. We did a couple of different things in the past. Is it's generally made out of balsa wood. So then you have to find someone who can either build that chair or you can get a prefabricated chair. There's a couple of places in the States, but to ship if you can imagine, a balsa wood chair is very expensive, so you have to take into consideration your budget and what you can afford. Balsa wood is a special wood. It almost grows like styrofoam, if you could imagine that, like a really brittle styrofoam. It breaks very easily, and it's very light, so it doesn't hurt you when it hits you. So yeah, you would get the balsa wood chair, and then you obviously you'd have to have some chairs in the location that looked the same as the either the design you've bought or the one you're getting made, and then you have to give that to the painter and they will paint it to look like the chairs that it's supposed to represent because somebody somebody might be sitting on that chair five seconds ago and then they want they'll get up and they want to pick up that chair and smash it over someone's head so they need to swap it out in between when they were sitting on it to when they were smashing it okay I just learned something new there (laughs) and but then the other question is so clearly you do take you break the chair the take was awful. You have to do it again. So as a props master or somebody who works in the art department or as a production designer, how do you anticipate how many chairs they need? And what happens if you do 10 takes and all of them did not work? (laughs) Well, that partially depends on your budget and partially depends on the director. So you will have talked to the stunt coordinator who will have talked about how the stunt's going to be done. So you have a general idea of what's going to happen. You'll know your director if there's somebody who takes 20 takes or maybe there's somebody who takes two takes. So you kind of can judge a little bit of how many chairs you'll need. And then it comes down to the budget. Like do how many chairs can you afford? So maybe you'll go to the director and be like, I could afford three chairs. So here they are, make the best of it. A funny story on Winona was we had this scene and we had it all prepped out and we had the balsa. There was a scene where in the script it was written that somebody breaks a plate of cookies over somebody's head, somebody 
smashes a pool cue over somebody else. It was a bar fight and somebody smashes a, a stool. I can't remember exactly how it went down, but somehow in the madness of the shooting of the scene, the balsa wood chair got used when another stunt should have been used. Just for example, I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it said in the script that a pool cue got broken over their head, but in the, in the excitement of shooting the scene, they used a chair. And then the scene came up where the chair was supposed to be broken over the man's head. And they were like, well, where's the chair? <laughs> so luckily I had a very quick-footed, fast-minded on-set props person, which is extremely valuable. She said, I will go get that. And she ran out, picked up all the broken pieces of the balsa wood chair and literally glued it together and brought it onto the set and was like, here it is. And then ran back out and tried to glue another one together. And that's how they put the scene together, just by <laughs> super glue and puzzling this chair together so that the, nobody knew anything had gone awry. Okay, I was going to ask that as well. How much do you have to reuse things? Uh, that depends. Another one on Winona was I made a judgment call. We They were going to throw this pie out of a car or across a car. And I had gotten eight pies, I think, because this director is very quick. He takes very few shots. And I was like, eh, that'll be fine. And wouldn't you know it, for some reason, he decided to shoot this scene many times. And, of course, we didn't have enough pies. And once again, my onset girl, uh, I think it was Kim this time, managed to piece together this pie after it was <laughs> thrown across this field multiple times and just managed to get away with it. That's the thing about the props department. You really have to anticipate what is going to happen and think about every scenario that could possibly happen and then try and be prepared for that because on the set, multiple things are always changing. They might say, actually, do you have this or that? And then you have to run on the truck full of gear and find something or put something together and bring it and be like why yes I do it's very creative in that sense especially on set for a lot of people who are maybe new to making scripted films when they're writing their script and then say you come and you start making the film and then you realize it's not going to work in the design for the set or for any of the kind of props is that when you have to go back and re-script things? Or what's your advice that you would have for emerging filmmakers when writing their script, when they're taking into consideration production design? Okay, yeah, that's a really good question because often when we get a script, we see it's too ambitious for the amount of money that is provided. My advice would be not to change your script until you've talked to the art department because you never know what tricks they've got up their sleeve. And the more experienced your art department is, the more able they are to bring things that you wouldn't expect from an inexperienced department. So let them decide what is and isn't possible for them. And every art department is different. I would say a really good piece of advice is to say to the art department or the production designer, look, this is my first draft. I know that it's ambitious and you know, whatever we need to change, I can do that. And it just gives that person a sense that you understand the art department and you value their opinion and what they can do. Do a lot of new filmmakers overlook the art department? I do find that new filmmakers, not everybody, but a lot of new filmmakers don't understand the scope of the art department and what they can bring. So they think... Because it looks easy and it just looks like when you're watching a show and the better it is and the better the art department, the more simple it looks, 
you think that it's simple to do and it really isn't. It takes so much work and it's really imperative that you have people who know what they're doing so they can tell you this is or isn't possible. You can't have this, but you can have this instead of somebody inexperienced who might be like, oh, sure, that'll be easy and trying to do it and then potentially not being able to reach the bar that you want. Just imagining a emerging scripted filmmaker or somebody who wants to get into scripted, what's the advice that you would give them? How much time do they need to build things like props or graphics? And what's the kind of cost that go into that? Can you break that down for me? Honestly, it is so different for every show that it's really difficult to say. I mean, an average, like say a very low budget, small show with a modest budget, if you give yourself three weeks for the art department, maybe the production designer would need more time so that they can start putting forward where you can and cannot you know, achieve your goals, would probably be enough. The more experienced people you have, the less people you need. Let me put it that way. Because those people will be able to do twice as much in half the time. When you think you're saving money by hiring your friend or getting volunteers, you really lose out because they don't have the years of experience to be able to easily bring to you what you want. Never underestimate what the art department is bringing to the show because until you've worked in that department, you cannot understand how much work it takes. Tell me about a time when you came across an experience where people weren't fully prepared for the art department. What was that like? It happens quite a lot, and I see it now as a, a production designer. I, f- I try to do that breakdown really far in advance so, so that I can present these l- lists and give a timeline so that the producer can then be prepared. This happens quite a bit because most filmmakers have not worked in the art department. They don't understand the scope. So what I try to do is, is uh, present them with these breakdowns so that they can really see on paper how much it's going to take. And then I ask them, do you want to have all these things? Do you want to cut back? What would you like to do? A lot of art department people take it upon themselves and say, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Even if it's impossible. And so you have to make sure that you put it back onto the producer to be like, look, this is what it's going to take to make this film. So can you provide that? Or do we need to cut back on some of these asks? For somebody who wants to become a production designer, what kind of advice would you give them? If somebody wants to be a production designer, I feel like the first step would be making your own films and experiencing what it is to put something up, film it, and then see what it looks like. Because through those experiences, you will then become a better and better designer and and watch movies and watch things that you like and be like, what is it about that set that I like? You know, is it the color? Is it the way the light is reflecting off a surface? Is it you know, the furniture? What, whatever it is about that scene or what's bringing it together. And then you can really get a sense of what different designers are doing. Raven, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm Raven Brash, and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, try to work in as many different departments as you can. It's so important to understand what brings a quality product to the screen. The quickest way to do this is to experience it for yourself. 
the more departments, the better. If you have no interest in that department in the long run, still do it. For example, when my partner, who is a DOP, and I first started living and working together, he got to experience firsthand what it took to be a props master. He was blown away. Like every night I was either cooking or building or inventing something. Every weekend I was testing different props and rigs, disposing of turkey carcasses, finding hard to find items. I was getting him to test all the props on me so I could experience what the actors would feel. It's crazy. Like, for example, everybody underestimates the prop department. Number two, break down your script for each department. If you don't know how to do that, find somebody who can help you. When you pick it apart down to the minutia, you will be able to understand the scope of what is required. For example, if you start to pick out every prop that will be touched, you will soon realize that it'll take multiple hours to find all those things or make them what needs to be built, what needs to be sourced, and how much it's going to cost. Number three, my third tip is for people who want to get into production design. I don't really know how to say this other than I like to allow the film to come into existence, allow aspects of the design to emerge. You come with your ideas, the director and cinematographer come with their ideas, and then life comes with its ideas. Always keep open to what is around you and available, especially on the low-budget films. Always listen to what your crew is suggesting. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 14 of Storylines. Storylines is a women in film and television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Special thanks to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Raven Brash. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvinen, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shannon Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode. And I'm your host, senior producer, and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode, where you can hear interviews and get tips with leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please feel free to leave us a review. Until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead. 